0: Hello, I'm Nia Krofi Smartabe, and this is the Foreign Press Podcast from the Association of Foreign Press Correspondents USA. This podcast is available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Each day, journalists around the world, just like every other professional, head out to work, but unfortunately, not all of them get to return to their own beds at night. According to Reporters Without Borders, a global media watchdog, the number of journalists arrested in the year 2022 shot up to 533 from the 488 journalists arrested in 2021. More than half of these journalists were arrested in five countries, namely China, Myanmar, Iran, Vietnam and Belarus. This is just part of an increase in the crackdown on press freedom around the world. Research shows that press freedom has been on the decline over the past decade and that is puzzling when one takes into account the fact that Reporters Without Borders has been publishing the World Press Freedom Index since 2002. So what accounts for the continuous violations of press freedom in many parts of the world and why do certain countries continue to rank high and others low consistently on the index? Cecil McCarthy is a distinguished lecturer and director of the journalism program at Hunter College in New York. She is an award-winning journalist and a board member of the Association of Foreign Press Correspondents USA. She has been doing some research on press freedom and joins me to discuss her findings. Cecil, thank you very much for joining us to discuss this very important topic of uh, press freedom. And um, I know you recently did um, write about, you know, the recent rankings uh, about press freedom. One would think that as the infringement of press freedom, you know, is highlighted year after year, the trend would be changing for the best. But your research suggests that it's actually been in decline for the past decade. Do we, under, do we know why this is happening?
1: Well, yeah, you're absolutely right. And thank you so much for having me. And this is an issue that I care very deeply about. And I'm so happy to share my research on this. I just wrote a post on this for newsliteracymatters.com as a result of a question that one of my students posted. And so I just want to say up front, I'm not an expert on this, but have done some work on this. And you're right, one would think that press freedom would be rising as people realize how important journalism is for people to get the information that they need to be free and self-governing, right, all over the world. But press freedom has really been declining for at least the past decade, you know, at least 10 years. And by many different measures, there are a lot of different ways it's measured. And the first one that most people think about is the World Press Freedom Index by Reporters Without Borders. Uh, that shows that the number of countries in their lowest category has almost doubled in the last 10 years. So that's countries mm. that have actually contracted in terms of press freedom where there are more and more abuses um, and uh, against journalists or journalists in prison or journalists actually killed. So that's a lot of countries now in, in the last 10 years but even studies by UNESCO and the Swedish Institute known as Varieties of Democracy has shown that freedom of expression, which freedom of press would fall under, Mm -hmm. has fallen really to the lowest level it's been since 1985. And 85% of all humans, all of humanity is now living in, are now living in countries where freedom of expression has decreased. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are a lot of reasons driving this erosion of press freedom but the three that really stood out to me when i was doing my research were authoritarian government crackdowns and and just mm-hmm. the rise of authoritarianism a broken economic model for most news companies and a decline in public trust and really rise of political polarization so you know we can talk about each one of those more in detail but those are the things that are really driving it I would say, especially right now, not just in the U.S., but all over the world.
0: Mm. So we'll come to those three um, topical um, issues that you pointed to. But I, I just want to go back to the rankings just briefly. We noticed that eight countries and top ratings in the la- in last year's ratings. Is that to suggest that, you know, for someone who probably doesn't follow the rankings very much. Is that to suggest that journalists in those countries don't face any challenges that, you know, yay, they're the luckiest journalists in the world?
1: No, not at all. That doesn't imply that there are no issues, but let's name those eight countries, right? Norway, number one in the world for press freedom, according to the World Press Freedom Index, then Denmark, Sweden, Estonia, Finland, Ireland, Portugal, and Costa Rica. But it's all relative, right? So that it doesn't mean that the country has a perfect press freedom record, or that journalists are completely free from challenges or threats or harassment. Um, they mm-hmm. can still face those kinds of things. But in general, um, and and based on the metrics that they look at, these countries are models and and uh, practicing the best practices for for journalism.
0: So we know that the uh, physical abuse against journalists is still persistent. I mean, even though right now there are other forms like the three that you've mentioned. I recently saw a documentary about female journalists in Mexico and, you know, how they are going the extra mile to try to protect themselves, especially when it comes to covering protests because they get lumped up with the crowd. There was even one instance where a few of the journalists were rounded up, taken to police stations and all that. But these are journalists who identify themselves as such, had even their media accreditations to show. So I'm assuming that the violence against women journalists would probably also be something that's on the up and up.
1: I'm so glad you brought this up because it's a huge problem and online violence against women journalists is one of the most serious threats to press freedom internationally. There was a report I came across by the Center for Journalists and UNESCO that found that nearly three out of four women have suffered some kind of online abuse for their work. And they're being abused online, right? There are trolls and online abusers that interact with them online. They, they, they're doxxed. These trolls manufacture controversies about these women reporters, and then stalk them and harass them, and not just them, but also their families. They actually Mm. fear for the safety of their families and their children. And frequently, the result is that the woman journalist is pushed out of her job or forced to quit. And those that stay in the business are usually in less prominent roles. Very, very few women are able to navigate this when it happens successfully, according to this research, and we definitely need to raise awareness and support these women in our newsrooms, and also in the public
0: sphere. Mm. And I guess um, a lot of that would also depend on the level of protection and seriousness that the media owners also, you know, attach to their female staff to make sure that they have enough security to be able to go about their daily jobs, I guess.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's definitely, it starts in the newsroom. Uh, but the, I think the public also has to demand that these women are protected and and not forced out of their jobs.
0: Okay. All right. And uh, when we say violations of press freedom, this comes in uh, different forms, right? Previously, it used to be a, mostly about killings of journalists. And even though that is still something that happens, that's not a major form of, of oppression? Because you did mention something about uh, government crackdowns. And I think broadly, we can even put it under the umbrella of um, censorship. It it looks like that's what's topping the trends now.
1: Well, that's one big one for sure. A lot of countries have these new so-called fake news laws that especially came out during the pandemic. Uh, A lot of authoritarian leaders or leaders leaning that way uh, wanted to use that opportunity to Get laws passed against misinformation and disinformation. But in many countries, those laws have been weaponized against the press very effectively uh, in countries like China, Brazil, Malaysia, Hong Kong, you know, mm-hmm. has tumbled in the rankings um, because of all the new laws there. Russia even has passed a law about a year ago that makes it a crime to report objectively about the war in Ukraine, even using the word war is mm-hmm. prohibited. It's it's criminal. But they're not the only countries with these laws. Even Western democracies like France and Germany have some fake news laws. And mm-hmm. those laws allow judges to order the removal of any content that they deem false or misleading. And, you know, that's a very slippery slope. Critics have argued that those laws could lead to censorship or, or certainly a chilling effect on the yeah. work of journalists and on free speech. Now, that's not to say that their violence against journalism isn't still a big problem. 67 journalists were killed last year and a record number were imprisoned. I think it's something like 363 journalists were imprisoned and the Committee to Protect Journalists, which follows all those arrests and murders, Jody Ginsburg says that these statistics are indicative of a precipitous decline in press freedom. So, you know, this is a a red alert. Press freedom is really in trouble, and we need to raise raise awareness about it.
0: Mm. Can we say that these laws are getting stricter for journalists because the governments are also becoming increasingly less patient with criticism? Because we know that in some cases, some of the journalists who are jailed, It's simply because they are very critical of the government in the country that they are working in.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, authoritarian leaders, this is right out of their playbook, right? You know, Mm. silence the opposition. And they have a lot of tools to do that. In addition to these laws that they've weaponized, they can also uh, use economic uh, means to shut down uh, journalism sites. For example, in Hungary, Orban, who's um, the president there, has effectively taken control of 80% of the country's news industry. How? By channeling state advertising funds to news organizations that are friendly to his government and by cutting off funding to any independent media outlets. And you know, thanks to this arrangement, many Hungarian newspapers and websites have gone bankrupt or taken over by pro-government owners who were promised state advertising if they supported Orban. And you know, similar situation in Turkey with Erdogan and in Russia with Putin. They use that economic leverage to really take control of, of any independent media and it works.
0: Mm. And that, that brings us to the what, one of the other key indicators you mentioned, which is the broken economic model. And we know that increasingly, a lot of the media is going digital and so they are relying on commercial to keep running. So if the governments keep shutting them down, if they're using the economic situation as a weapon against them, then really, are we ever going to get any respite when it comes to press freedom in, in such situations like, as you mentioned, in Hungary, in Russia, where you know pro-government um, figures are taking over the media sites that are going down?
1: Right. Well, this broken economic model, you know, is affecting all media as it does, as you mentioned, as it goes digital. Traditional media's economic model has been broken, right? They used to get ads and that was Mm -hmm. the main source of revenue. Now they're switching to subscription based models with paywalls uh, because all the big tech companies, Meta and Google in particular, Mm -hmm. are Attracting all the ad dollars. Meta and Google are now attracting about half of all ad spending. And that leaves news outlets in fierce competition for resources, really, to continue their work, to continue their independent reporting. And that's why they can be so easily influenced by uh, leaders who use, you know, basically money, ad spending to Mm. promote more friendly, you know, stories, to promote friendly reporting. So that financial leverage to influence news outlets actually limits press freedom, because if that, you know, spigot of funding is going to be cut off, they're less likely to report any news that's critical of the government that is supporting them. So it's that's a, a big problem. And it's something that the business, the news industry really needs to figure out what's the economic model that's going to sustain the important work that they're doing.
0: Absolutely. And the last of the three points you mentioned was a decline in public trust and rise in political polarization. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Well, the propaganda that is being published on pro-government sites, but also just on social media, right? Anyone can publish anything, has led Mm -hmm. to vast amounts of misinformation online, disinformation, conspiracy theories. All this undermines public trust in journalism and ultimately undermines press freedom, right? When people are in their own echo chambers, they won't believe news reports that don't conform to their pre-existing worldview. And that makes it even harder for journalists to hold power accountable. It makes it harder for journalists to report the truth if people don't want to hear it, right? And if they don't see it, sometimes Mm -hmm. they are only going to news sites that reinforce, it's called confirmation bias, that reinforce their pre-existing Uh, opinions and worldview. But Mm. so this uh, polarization is very, you know, very dangerous and um, undermines what journalists are definitely trying to do. And one more point, deepening political divides help leaders create a sort of us versus them mentality. Uh, That's Mm. definitely also right out of an authoritarian playbook. Political divisions make it easier to suppress dissent. These leaders have an easy scapegoat, you know, to blame Mm -hmm. for the country's problems. They can blame journalists. They can blame uh, the more liberal media, the people that follow that media. And Mm -hmm. that really can be used to justify crackdowns on the opposition, crackdowns on the press. So polarization is a very, very effective tool for authoritarian leaders.
0: Mm. And is there any way out? Because right now we live in in times where even within the media we have those deemed to be on on either extremes right you are either extremely anti the government in, in power or you are extremely pro the government in power and the polarization is right there already so what do we as journalists ourselves have to do to make sure we don't further deepen this polarization and if possible start winning the our uh, readers and our viewers Back into the center where you know they trust the stories that we presented to them to be factual and to be you know what what is actually happening on the ground.
1: Right. Well, Reporters Without Borders actually calls um, this opinion-driven news, and and they've even coined a name for it. It's called Fox Newsization of the media. Uh, hmm. A lot of people can't tell the difference between fact-based journalism and opinion-based journalism. They really don't, they can't tell the difference. And people are attracted, everyone is. People are attracted to news outlets that reverberate what they already believe because they're basically telling them, you are right, you are right in your beliefs. And most people don't take the time really to expose themselves to other points of views. And um, when you get in these, filter bubbles, in these echo chambers, it does stoke social and political polarization. And when people are polarized, they will continue in this circle seeking out information that confirms their pre-existing beliefs. And for journalists, I think we really have to pull the curtain back on the difference between fact-based journalism and opinion-based journalism. And I think we shouldn't wear both hats. It's very confusing when people see a journalist who is a fact-based reporter giving us the news on what's happening in Ukraine. And then they show up and give their opinion on Mm. Putin's invasion of Ukraine, right? That's very confusing to people. So I think journalists need to do more to Mm. make the public aware of what fact-based reporting is, what the Mm -hmm. discipline of verification is, all the things that journalists do to make sure that the information that they're reporting is verified and to explain the difference between that and someone's opinion, someone's assertion. Just because you believe something doesn't mean it's true. Just because you say, I think this, doesn't mean that that's actually a fact. And that's a a very hard concept for some, you know, some of the public to understand. Um, And this really does hurt journalism and journalists.
0: Mm -hmm. it does. Yes. Let me go back to the table again briefly. Norway has led the pack when it comes to the rankings since at least 2020. What is Norway doing right that the rest of the world isn't doing? Uh, okay, well, right? full
1: disclosure. Full disclosure. My family is from Norway. Both my parents are uh. there. I speak Norwegian. <laughs> Hi, Norge. Um, well, yeah, you're right. Norway has consistently earned the top spot in the World Press Freedom Index for many best practices including very strong legal protections for the press the norwegian Mm. constitution guarantees that journalists can report freely without fear of prosecution or censorship the press in norway is also highly independent so it's not controlled by the government now there is a public broadcasting company Mm. it's called norwegian broadcasting corporation nrk and um but it is independent of the government even though it's public broadcasting because it gets its funding through licenses So the public actually pays a fee. Um, And so it's not dependent on who's in office and what the budget is that year. And Mm. there are many, many private media companies in Norway. Uh, The Norwegian government is also very open and transparent because laws make it easier. Sunshine laws, right? FOIA laws make it easier for journalists to access information and to hold public officials accountable. So lots Mm. of things going right in Norway, they, um, we all could take a look at how they've set up their press freedom there.
0: As we're getting closer to the end of the conversation, private media looks like could be our way out to fighting um, press freedom. But then that one also faces the challenge of um, the economic module that it will use and you know how it's going to get its funding and where it's going to get its funding from. Are there any other options for us As a global media that we could be looking at or exploring, especially for the countries in the bottom 10, like um, North Korea, Cuba and co, that they could also use the media in that country could use to, you know, fight against uh, the abuses that they face and the crackdowns and all that.
1: I have so much respect for journalists in those countries, you know, the the bottom countries, North Korea, I think is the worst, Um, Iran. I think are the, the bottom three, uh, you know, they are literally putting their life on the line. Every time they're reporting on power, every time they're fulfilling their watchdog role. And I, I think we have to keep up the pressure internationally. The work that the Committee to Protect Journalists is doing, the work that the United Nations is doing, we have to support that and publicize, make people aware that this is happening. When I tell my students or even some of my friends that journalists get killed while doing their job for doing their job well, people are can't believe it. You know, a lot of people just have their experience, you know, of dealing with the press in this country and the press is not mm-hmm. that revered. If you look at the public opinion of polls, I think they're down there with Congress. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think we need to do a better job of educating the public on the important role, the fourth estate that the press plays, Mm -hmm. helping them be free and self-governing and also holding power to account. So I I think that's definitely one thing um, that they can do.
0: And not to put you in the spot, but you're a journalism professor, so you are training the next generation of journalists. And you just said sometimes they don't even believe you, they find you, you know, like shocked when you say that journalists are killed for doing their work. How are you preparing them to face the realities that they're going to face in about two, three, four years time when they're out of college and begin to work full time as journalists?
1: Well, the basics, the fundamentals of journalism really haven't changed, even though the medium has changed so many times, it's still based on the discipline of verification, right? Journalists, we have to teach them how to verify information, how to find evidence, and then how to report it in a way that is accessible to the public, right? Right. If it's not read or watched or listened to by the public, if their storytelling isn't compelling, then what's the point? So we're still teaching journalism very traditionally, all those fundamental values with of course, all the bells and whistles that we now have thanks to digital media. And uh, you know, there are so many advantages to digital media. You can reach people in a nanosecond. You can reach so many more people. There's much more engagement back and forth. So there are many benefits and we certainly want to leverage off of them but not forget really the fundamentals that are are so important and make journalism so valuable and so important to all societies people crave information right it's in our dna mm-hmm. to yeah. share information and connect with other one another over information and journalists you know are a big way that we can we can do that and should be supported and protected in societies and countries.
0: Thank you very much, Cecil McCarthy, for joining us.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you for having (laughs) me.
0: And that's our show for today for more information about press freedom check out our dedicated platform www.pressfreedom.org you can get daily updates on press freedom violations from around the world on that page you can also visit our website www.foreignpresscorrespondence.org for more educational resources On the homepage, just click on the educational program link and you'll be able to access past and current educational programs from the association, as well as information about upcoming educational programs. Follow us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Our handle is at Foreign Press USA. Also, do give us a rating wherever you're listening to help others find this podcast. Many thanks for joining us today. Hope you join us again next time on the Foreign Press Podcast. I'm Nia Kofi Smatabe. See you soon.